Season two is nigh, ladies and gentlemen. Greg Koch here, Chewing the Gristle podcast. It continues unabated. We got some powerful musical friends lined up. We're talking guitars, music, food, aliens. It doesn't matter. We're just chewing the diggity doggone gristle. This week on Chewing the Gristle, one of my best buds, Prashanta Swanee, a potentate of the instrumental guitar realm, great player, engineer, producer, and one hell of a nice guy. Prashanta Swanee this week on Chewing the Gristle with me, Gregory Kahn. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, yet another glorious installment of Chewing the Gristle. I'm Greg Koch. Your maniacal host, and I have the great pleasure of having my buddy Prashanta Swanee today, a titan in the instrumental guitar realm, as well as being a very talented engineer, producer, and mover and shaker in the music industry. I'm just going to say that. He knows how to get things done, and he's a very good buddy of mine. It's just a pleasure to get to rap with him, and I think you're going to enjoy our conversation. Prashant, how the heck are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Um, and it's uh, it's great. We're, we're talking here, but we have so many talks, so it's like normal, right? Regular day-to-day life. Yeah, it's good to see you, though. I mean, we're, I'm, although the people listening to this can't see you, but I, I can see you via our, via our uh, restream chat. Yeah, it's, it is good, man. <laughs> Miss you, man. Usually, Likewise. At least, at least I see you, what, a few, couple, few times in a year, right? Yeah, that is correct. When there's not something called COVID-19. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, So you have moved since last we actually physically saw each other. You moved from Southern California up to Northern California. I did, yeah. And, um, and you got a brand new Bambino. Another baby, yeah. Number three for me and uh, very exciting. You know, it's, it was, I mean, look, last year it was all kind of an accident, right? I mean, I think I take, I take, you know, my days as they come, like, I don't ever make any, like these, I don't, I don't have any rigid plans, you know, in life and and in music. Right. And so, so it was interesting. Uh, you know, we ended up having the opportunity to move out of LA and I think it was time, you know, things, things were in Venice beach where we were living, were really falling apart, just like outside of the front door. right? Right. And so, um, and this was like right around when the pandemic like started cranking, like in March, April, we made the choice to, uh, to just bolt, you right. know? And, um, and so, and then, you know, lo and behold, you know, baby's on the way. It's like, we had no idea, nothing was planned and, and it, but it worked out really phenomenal. You know, I mean, I think I, I had an opportunity last year to really put, like focus on family, you know, and put family first, you know, like be there with my parents, you know, parents live up in Northern California too. And so we're, we're really close to them in terms of distance. So I was able to be there for them and help them out with stuff, you know, during this time. And, uh, and then, you know, of course, get through the pregnancy with my wife and, you know, she's a, she's a home run hitter, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like it. And now we got a little one, which is like the greatest thing ever. Right. It is the greatest thing ever. Yeah, you know, you got four. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm do. still behind, but I'm getting there. <laughs> You're catching up. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure if, uh, you know, all goes right, knock on wood, uh, we'll at least be tied. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> but you're a mentor for me in many ways, man. I mean, oh, you're you know, in tr- you're in trouble then. <laughs> no, you know what, man? I mean, you know, over the years of getting to know you, you're, you, you know, you're you're definitely somebody I look up to in a lot of ways, you know, in life and music, of course, like, gosh, your, your guitar playing is alien. I, I remember sitting, um, and I'm going to name drop cause we have some of the same friends, but I remember sitting with, uh, Steve Lukather at a lunch a few, some many years ago. And, um, I, we were just taught, I had maybe just gotten back from doing, uh, uh, a video shoot at Wildwood and he, he asked me what I was doing there. And I said, yeah. And you know, Greg Cock and, and, and it's, this was before, like, I think you started really talking with Luke and both of us are like, dude, the guy is an alien musician. Like where is ah. he, what does he have all of these like ridiculous ideas and, and the way you flow in one to another. I mean, it's really special, man. You know, I mean, I really, it's very special the way you play and the way you deliver it on video and, oh, well, and perform you. is a remarkable it's a gift dude no not a single human being can do it like that i mean oh me. man you're you're too kind dog on it but enough about me <laughs> let's talk let's talk about the mighty p enough <laughs> about me let's talk about the mighty p but thank you very much for that that was very very nice uh I, i'm interested as you mentioned your your parents yeah uh i'm wondering in your upbringing because you know a lot of times I, I speak with folks. Certainly, I mean, my, my parents were supportive, but certainly not thrilled that I was going to be a musician. Yeah. Uh, and we're very, you know, when I announced that, you know, it was something I wanted to do as a, uh, as my livelihood, they, quite honestly, they were horrified. So I'm wondering from your point of view, what was it like for you when you said, hey, you know, I want to do this thing where they're like, wait, just a cotton picking minute. No way. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, I don't think, I mean, so my parents, I, my parents are, uh, immigrants to the United States. So, um, you know, their understanding of like anything outside of, you know, being a medical doctor or an engineer or a rocket scientist or anything like in that kind of realm, right. You don't really know too much about that. Right. So, I mean, and, and I, I don't mean that, um, as a slight, but you know, they had to be laser focused on specific careers to be able to, you know, to, to get out of, you know, extreme poverty, you know what I'm saying? So, so these were the careers that, you know, you know, allowed them to do that. And then, you know, fortunately they had the wherewithal and discipline and all that stuff that it takes. And so when I told them I wanted to be a musician, I don't think they understood what that mean meant. And I didn't really even know what it meant to be a musician for a living. You know what I'm saying? Like, like how, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a clue. So, but the, the cool thing was, is that I was able to um, get accepted to Berkeley college of music. And so what that did was, is they thought, okay, university. Um, and I was like, you know, I, I'm going to go see what this is all about. And so it worked out, you know, where I was, I was working through college, you know, with jobs, you know, at pouring coffee and stuff like that um, to support myself. And they would help out a little bit, but you know, it was basically like that. And so like after college, I learned a lot more, I think, or during college, I learned about like what it kind of meant to earn money playing guitar. Right. So prior to that, what were you looking to get out of the Berkeley thing? Were you like, okay, I need to work on these skill sets because I want to do this. Or were you just kind of like, I know I really like music. I know that's the place to go. Let's see what happens. 
I mean, really, I, I wish I, I wish I knew what I wanted to get out of Berkeley, but I really had no, I didn't know shit about music, man. I mean, excuse the French, but Fair I didn't not. really, I didn't know. I was just self-taught, and like I would watch people play and then kind of absorb, try to duplicate stuff, and you know, obviously no YouTube, no, no internet back then. Right. right? And right. So, you know, I'd go to shows or I'd listen to albums over and over. And so I developed whatever minimal style that I had back then. And I wouldn't really call it much. I mean, I was a teenager. Right. And, but I developed it just kind of listening and trying to duplicate stuff and write. And I was always writing stuff that was weird, you know? And I think, you know, and if I could take two steps back, I mean, you know, my parents, my dad loved Indian classical music. So like as a kid, I really all I listened to was Indian classical music, you know, and and I played tabla, which is an Indian uh, percussion instrument and Zakir Hussain and, you know, Ravi Shankar and, and a bunch of other Indian artists. We, I'd go see them play concerts and I studied tabla formally from about eight years old to about 13. Okay. And I had a, I had a guruji, a teacher. And, uh, you know, I, I learned all the syllables and, you know, I learned how to play and I was pretty good. I learned about timing and all these things. And so when I was about 13, 14 and I picked up the guitar, I was able to transfer that understanding of music, which really had no um, connection to how Westerns look at music. But it was just kind of what I just transferred. And then I just kind of went on my own with the guitar and I just started creating stuff on my own. And it wasn't. It, it was a never ending thing. I was addicted to this guitar and the sounds like, so, you know, I could, I could make it this happen or make this happen. I just kept going and going um, nonstop. I mean, I was literally like playing guitar all the time. Like, you know, I would take, I, could, I would take my guitar to, I could walk to school right from where we lived. And so I would take my guitar to school and just like on breaks play. And I'd be in the smoking section, smoking cigarettes and playing guitar, you know, just, right. I was really enamored with the instrument you know and so i think my ear was able to get established so i went to berkeley i had no idea what any like b minor i, I didn't really have a clue what any of that was right and so um but i was able to excel because my ear was trained and once they explained like you know the the chords and the notes and i was able to understand that then all of a sudden you know i was able to do really well pretty quickly interesting well you know I'm fascinated by uh, Indian classical music, and you know, I, I don't consider myself an aficionado by any stretch of the imagination, but I do like to listen to it quite a bit. And um, I'm interested from the point of view, I remember on, the, on this one particular Ravi Shankar record that I have where he kind of does verbal explanations of stuff in between. I think it's called Introduction to Indian Classical Music with Ravi. Oh, Kurt. cool. Yeah. And one of the things that he says, he goes, I can't remember, I'm you know paraphrasing, but you're talking about... Um, you know, it's improvising, but not akin to jazz. And what I thought was interesting about that was, is that I think he was implying the intention. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the intention of, of the improvising was not one of like, um, well, I don't want, I don't want to put, you know, voice my own issues. About, no, just, go ahead. I want to hear it. Well, I, I, I was just thinking that, you know, I, I consider music, you know, um, 
you know, when you're not attached to the results, but just attached to the moment, uh, there's a different right. thing of, of, of what happens in an impro- improvisation. And also in the Indian classical music, there also just seems to, I mean, there might be a, a specific vibe that you're playing over or a certain raga or whatever, a sure. certain tuning that you're in where it just stays in that one thing. And you improvise under the framework of that, that particular template. Correct. Whereas jazz is like, you know, taking pop tunes of the day and revamping them with, with more sophisticated harmony and you're, and you're improvising over that. Uh, but again, you know, it's, it's kind of, I don't, and certainly there is a spiritual aspect to jazz and a lot of people have infused that certainly with, uh, the influence of, uh, Indian classical music. But, uh, you know, I'm just curious as to your thoughts on that. There just seems to be like, you know, you know, when you talk about, you know, the rock way of improvising that was implemented, you know, in the late 60s, and then certainly from there, and then fusion getting involved, it seemed a lot more akin to Indian classical music than it did jazz. You know what I mean? And would I you- think so. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, for me, Indian classical music was more of a, it was more of a respect for your instrument and a respect for your elders. It was kind of like a cultural thing, you know, being, being young and only having a limited understanding of life. Right. Um, but also it was a spiritual thing in terms of like a prayer, you know, right. so like, you know, there would be ragas, which are basically tonalities that you would improvise over. Right. Right. Or, you know, tunings or however you want to mention it, but, but you would do this and, and there would be morning ragas or afternoon ragas or right. evening ragas, right? And they would create a certain spiritual prayer type of thing, right? And right. so music was always kind of this free kind of giving to, and taking, giving and take thing that would happen. But it was it was always kind of spiritually based, right? And so, like, I think that the, the artists that I thought that I resonated with most – um, that kind of connected the dots for me being an American born first generation from India parents, uh, was John McLaughlin. And it was a specific album. It was called Shakti. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an album he did with one of my heroes in music is Zakir Hussain, double right. player yeah, yeah. and, uh, El Shankar playing violin and absolute, just insane these musicians together. Right. But I listened to that record and I connected with it because John was actually one of the Indian, one of the Western artists that really somehow he got it. He, he had it, he had the inflections and it's so rare to be able to get those inflections unless you come from it. Right. Right. Those Indian inflections. I mean, a, a guy that does it, that did it in a performance, in my opinion, like is unbelievable. It was Jeff Beck with the song Nadia, I believe. Right, right, right. And he, oh my goodness, I, he doesn't sound like a Western guy playing Indian inflections. Um, and so these, that really kind of connected me and kind of made me feel like, okay, cool. Like, you know, it's, it was weird music, right? To, you know, it wasn't really standard arrangements per se. And it was a lot of improvisation, but I think that that, in my love for ACDC, you know, yes, and my, my love for technique. So I think that was another thing. So I really got fascinated with the technique of guitar because I think with my upbringing, being good at something meant being technically phenomenal. Got it. You understand? Yeah. And so I applied that lesson or what that, you know, that meaning of being good at something 
to guitar. So I sought out all these shrapnel guys, like, and they all grew up in the Bay area too, you know, like, uh, Jason Becker and, um, you know, Marty Friedman and who was, who had some really cool ethnic style phrases and shit. Right. Sure. And, uh, and so I got into that, but really, I mean, Pat Metheny, I think was my transition into really, I love Pat Metheny. I think out of all the guitar players out there, if I have to say somebody kind of has it all, Pat Metheny is kind of that guy. Right. For me. Right. Um, and, and between him and John McLaughlin, it's these shred guys. I kind of realized that jazz was important. And once I actually got like the light bulb turned on at Berkeley about what things meant, because I felt like a complete idiot, right? All these guys, you know, knew everything about music. And I mean, you know, I didn't have a clue. They're all talking about, you know, changes and modulations right. and, you know, two, five, tritone, tritone yeah. substitution, tritones, all this stuff. Right. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, man. Like I felt like a complete degenerate going to Berkeley. Right. I'm like, how did I get in? You know what I mean? And people would even ask me like, how did you get into this place? Like, did you audition? I'm like, no, I just got in. And, you know, I got a recommendation from a teacher that I had in high school um, that's a different story. I want to tell you about that at some point, but, but yeah. And so anyway, I learned about it. Right. And I, and, and I wanted to excel. So Berkeley was really not about guitar playing for me. It was about studying jazz, studying chord charts, uh, you know, listening, uh, you know, we had these like advanced harmony classes where they would push play on a John Coltrane solo and I'd have to, you know, notate it out and analyze it. So I did that stuff and, for, you know, I did it well because my ear was trained. And once I was told what it meant, I could figure it out. And so that was Berkeley for me. It had nothing to do with guitar playing at all because I didn't know anything about Western music. So I had to study what it was first. And that brings me to after I left Berkeley, you know, nobody taught me how to apply any of that stuff. And so I, randomly on my own applied pieces of what I remembered into my compositions. And, you know, I, sh I made an album pretty quickly after <clears throat> or even during uh, my last year at Berkeley. So I was kind of already incorporating weird stuff in my playing, you know, right, right. With my writing, because writing was important to me. And I learned that it, writing is really important when I was at Berkeley because I was studying these brilliant compositions you know, it's just jazz standards, right? But they were brilliant, the, the harmonic movement. And, you know, even studying Bach, traditional harmony, that I was just like, wow, this is genius, right? And so after listening to a lot, studying a lot, then came my time to figure out how to apply it. And unfortunately, I didn't take the opportunity to learn from the teachers there how to apply it, right? So it, it get, I play weird, you know, like my note choices are weird compared. They're not normal note choices. But that's, that, but that's why it's awesome. Yeah, I guess. It, but it was all a happy accident. Like, you know, I have my I think I have my own sound. I'm pretty confident I do. And, and I think it's because. Not because it was intentional, not because I'm some like legend you know that decided yeah like i'm going to create my own thing but it's because it was a total accident and i never quit or gave up and i just kept going and kept going hit the walls uh and then you know got up and kept going you know so you i, I guess i didn't know that 
that uh, you had taken lessons like from Greg Howe and you were like d- during that period of time. Yeah. Right? So, okay. Interesting story. So uh, my friend, Rob Caggiano, who I went to Berkeley with, he's the guitar player in Volbeat now, but he was with Anthrax for a bunch of years. He's an amazing musician, right. And producer. Um, we, we were best pals at Berkeley. Like, we, you know, we were always together jamming at the same stuff and he did a demo and and mike varney lives in northern california so i was at home on a christmas break and rob flew out um to meet with mike varney and he asked me if you know he could crash at my place i said yeah for sure and so we drove together i basically chauffeured him to mike varney's house and we're at mike varney's house and mike's talking to rob and it's their business meeting so i'm just kind of quiet right i didn't really say anything at all and finally mike asked me so what do you do? You know, what do you like? I'm, and I'm just like, ah, you know, I just I go to Berkeley. I'm not, I don't do anything, you know? And he asked me what I liked out of his catalog. And I mentioned some artists and Greg Howe did an album called Uncertain Terms, which was a really weird album that he did. <clears throat> and it, it, it didn't really fit any genre. It was just a super weird record, but it was just dark and heavy. And I just really loved that album. And his prior albums, you know, I didn't really you know, I didn't really, they weren't on my top listening, you know, cause I didn't really get it. It was very bluesy. Greg, Greg Howe was pretty, pretty bluesy guy. Those first many albums. And, uh, I wasn't really into that cause I didn't really quite get it. And so he's like, well, let's get Greg on the phone. And so he gets He calls up Greg Howe <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I got a couple of your fans here at my house. And, and, uh, he basically got, he, Greg's like, yeah, you know, give him my number. So I took the opportunity and called Greg and said, you know, I'd love to just, I don't know, take a lesson, whatever it is. So I took a bus, like, you know, eight hours, you know, uh, saved up, you know, it took like three hours with the lessons. Um, and, uh, after like our third, during our third visit, right. Over a period of some months, cause like I, I was working and I had to save money to, to make these trips happen. Right. Um, I brought Greg some songs I was writing. I said, Hey, listen, man, like, will you produce an album for me? And he's like, well, what do you got? Right. And so I played him some songs. He's like, yeah, let's do it. You know, screw it. Right. I don't know if he decided to do it because he liked it or what, but he did. So we ended up uh, tracking a record, my first album, you know, over a period of, you know, eight or nine months when I can afford to do a recording session and, um, and during that, a lot of stuff happened during that time, like uh, in terms of like trying to get signed and things like that. Um, sure. That's a whole separate story, but, but anyway, we finished the first record, you know, it was killer. Greg did a lot of the work on it. I mean, he engineered it, he played bass on it. Um, you know, he produced it. So, you know, I programmed all the drums, you know, he basically made it easy for me to just express my compositions and whatever it is that I could play into a record right and i learned a ton in that process about making records and recording records because i would watch him uh as he was engineering so i really became intrigued with that whole process and so that's how i met greg and that's how we ended up so it was a couple of lessons and then right into a record um i basically took advantage of that opportunity right i mean i i thought you know I, like, what am I going to learn from this guy? Like, he's got his own style. I, I don't really care about learning how to play guitar. I want to make a record because I was fresh into Berkeley about writing. 
you know, so writing is like the most, I, I could barely play. I mean, I think my performances on that first record are, are, are good. You know, they're solid um, for, you know, for the instrumental genre, but you know, they're, they were above my abilities, I think um, in the sense that we were able to punch in, you know, in different sure. spots, you know? So like I learned about that. So I, I was, I was able to make a really solid record at the time that was above my abilities. So then I grew my abilities because I had to perform the shit. Right. right? Um, and it was a cool process, man. And, and so I think we did a second record together too. I, I was featured on a couple of his records. So it was a cool, um, you know, relationship. Of, yeah. For a period of time, you know, it, it was, it was a good, he was like a good mentor to have, you know, and I learned a shitload. So where in this process did you end up in Italy for a period of time? Is this after the, yeah. after this? Yeah. So I had, so originally I got, I had a deal with going with Mark Varney for Legato records. And that was like in the middle of this recording record process. And after I finished like six songs, Mark had said, um, look, I'm closing down the label. I'm not going to do this anymore. Like, you know, keep the record and, what do whatever you want. And I was just like, what, you know, like I didn't know what any of that meant. So, um, I finished the record, you know, um, and, um, I pressed some CDs on my own and there was a label online. Online was just getting started. You know, there's barely internet, but there so was like 98 ish. Would you say 96, actually 97, actually 97, 97. Um, and, um, I pressed a, like a, a grip of copies and I started mailing them out to different labels, instrumental labels all around the world, you know, like unsolicited, you know, but you know, just mailing out press kits, you know, with my record. Um, and I was selling CDs. I was doing pretty good. I mean, I was selling, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, all of a sudden I'm selling CDs, you know, making, right. and, and back then my wholesale was like 10 bucks. So I was making, you know, right. hundreds of dollars, right? <laughs> Funny to think about. Um, and then I had a kid during that time, which was interesting, but, but that kind of, I, I stopped doing stuff for a minute because I had to kind of, you know, sort through that process. Um, right. And then in 98, uh, I got, I, I, I just decided I needed a vacation, you know? So I, you know, I'd been working odd jobs and uh, teaching a little bit and just kind of saving money, living at home right after college. Right. And so I went to Italy on a, I just bought a ticket, one way ticket to Milan and I flew to Milan and, um, I had no, I couldn't speak Italian and back in 98, like nobody, nobody, um, spoke English, dude, you know, in Italy. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was horrible. Right. I had no idea. Like I didn't even, I, it was horrible. Right. I didn't know what I was doing, but, but it was cool because I bumped into people. I was just open-minded. I had a bag, a suitcase and uh, you know, I just walked around and then I took a train to some people that I knew. And I, I ended up in Rimini for like a couple few months, you know, you met a girl there. We were having fun. I mean, it was just like, a, it was killer. Right. I was having a great time. And then all of a sudden, I, my dad, my dad, so I didn't, have, I barely even had a cell phone, right? Back then. Right. I had to buy some kind of cell phone. It was like $2 a minute. So I barely even used it. So my dad messages me that I got, I, I went to an internet cafe. He emailed me, he said, yeah, this label 
or this magazine wants to do something with you. Uh, and I said, okay. So I caught in touch with this guy named Alessandro Benvenuti. He was a great guitar player himself. And, uh, and he's in Rome. He's like, yeah, we want to do a feature, six, seven pages, pictures, all this interview, all this stuff with your record and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, cool. Right. And it was Axe Guitar Magazine. Sure. I know those guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. I love it. And so I took a train down to Rome. I thought I was just going to be there for like a couple few days and then go back to Rimini and, you know, keep partying and having a good time, you know, just burning through whatever I saved up. Right. Yeah. I wasn't making any money. So, um, like at all, right. For those few months. And, uh, and so anyway, I went, I went to Rome and I ended up staying there, uh, with Alessandro and, you know, I ended up getting some gigs and I met with the label out there and, uh, got signed to a distribution deal. Um, and that went really well. I got some other gigs and I started, I stayed there. I just stayed there and I was supporting myself all of a sudden, you know, as a musician and shit was just working out. Right. Yeah. yeah. I like and it. Then, you know, what a year and a half or so, almost two years later, um, albums doing pretty good for instrumental, you know, no name stuff. And, uh, I get a call from a label. My dad emails me and says, Hey, you got this label interested in distribution in Japan. I said, Oh, that's cool. So, but they wanted to do a second record. And so I thought, okay, I got to, the party's up, you know, like I, I've been having fun in Italy and it's been amazing early twenties, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm digging life. I got to get out of here. So I flew back and, and uh, went to Japan uh, for the, my record release there for a couple of weeks, toured, did a bunch of clinics, um, and then finished a, another record with Greg in that short period of time. Like I had to write and record a record in like six weeks cause they wanted another follow-up. Uh, and, um, and then things totally changed in life. My grandmother, uh, took a, took a dive and broke her hip and, and, uh, everybody was, I was home. So people thought, Oh, you're a musician. You're not doing anything. You need to take care of your grandmother. Right. And so uh-huh. I'm, I'm like, all right, you know what? Screw it. Whatever. So I basically took the year sort of off eight months, took care of her all the way till the day she passed, which was really awesome because I spent a lot of time with stories. I learned about my heritage. I learned about like what it was like in India, like during the British occupation, all kinds of stuff that I learned, which was all recent history that I didn't really have a chance to, to know about because my parents never talked about it. Right. And, um, and it was really great experience. Right. And then, um, but you know, I totally didn't give the label, the record. I kind of was just, you know, I just surrendered to the fact that, okay, I'm going to work at a coffee shop again, you know, and take care like in the AM hours and then take care of my grandmother in the afternoon. And that's just what it's going to be. Right. And so I, in the meantime, though, it was weird because I got a gig in LA, uh, a pop gig, my first pop gig, uh, for Columbia records road show. And, uh, it was with this artist with Mary, Mary was on the bill and like a bunch of, bunch of like, now pretty big artists but back then they were just starting and this was like 2000 i think yeah and um anyway how how did that line up well i got a call uh so i was with esp guitars and the the uh the ceo of esp referred me to this music director paul pesco and paul pesco got me this gig and um i mean dude the money was stupid (laughs) 
like, I mean, it was like four weeks of rehearsals and like paid. Ho- I mean, it was right. just dumb. Right. I mean, I'm like, what? This is crazy money. Right. Car money. And it went from hundreds to thousands to now you're buying shit. Right. You know, you're like really making a living. And so um, <clears throat> and that's how I broke into the pop world. And Paul Pesco, an incredible musician, music director, producer, songwriter. Right. He's worked with everyone. I learned the pop thing from him. You know what I mean? I basically got my feet wet and he basically, you know, I did background vocals, got my rigs together for pop specifically, you know, cause you know, the t- sounds are totally different. Right. Um, you know, but my ear, you know, the ear came in handy again. I could match up tones, learn parts, no problem, create parts that weren't there that would be suitable. Cause a lot of the pop stuff didn't necessarily have guitars in sections. Sure um even back then right and so in fact i think back then is when it, they really started cutting out a lot of the guitars um and stuff so um so anyway that started and then my you know like i said my grandmother passed i ended up moving to la right after i released my second album by myself it didn't you know i sold it, some copies whatever i had a thousand copies i sold them and that was it you know um and i started kind of doing pop stuff little gigs in la you know here and there and I was playing my instrumental stuff still pretty regularly at Lave Lee, which was a club right. uh, in, in the Valley. Uh, I play there very often. Right. And then bake the baked potato, of course. And, uh, and, you know, and back then the really still internet wasn't very prevalent except for email. Right. Right. No social media. So like I would hand out flyers, you know, I'd go to gigs and I, and I would get called to do like sessions here and there. Right. Um, for like, you know, jingles and things like that, just random people. Hey, I need guitar on this. Can you do it? And I'd go in. So I kind of, I kind of was able to learn about stuff during that time. And then, and then, you know, the bigger pop gigs came into play, um, where, you know, it was cool. Right, right, right. And so how did that all, how did you juggle all that and how long did that last for that period where you said, I'm in this pop realm, I'm going to do the sidemen thing and kind of augment things with my that own thing on the side? That probably lasted till about 2004, 2005. And then I basically just, I, I don't know. It wasn't at the time. It wasn't, I just wasn't fulfilled then, you know, I don't know. People probably think I'm crazy, but, and I probably am, but I just wasn't fulfilled. And I just kind of just stopped the hustle for the pop thing. I just, just, like, I wasn't into it at that time. Right. And, um, and then I ended up, you know, getting married right after that again and having a daughter. And so at that point I was like, okay, what am I going to do? Like, I've got to be able to like, support a family now you're not just myself right you know in a small apartment i have to like really like step it up even more we interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle infested conversation to give a special shout out to our friends at fishman transducers makers of the greg cock signature fluence gristle tone pickup set can you dig that and our friends at wildwood guitars of lewisville colorado bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. So uh, I started just recording. I got a recording studio um, and I was recording prior and releasing stuff, you know, on my own, which was, I mean, it was just bringing in 
some money, right? And I was still doing recording sessions with people, but I really got into it. And that's when um, I started working with a guy named George Black. Uh, he played in Sly and the Family Stone, like an older cat, like a right. really sick guitar player and parts parts guy, right? Right, right. Parts writer. And and that's when I learned about parts. And, and I'll never forget, <laughs> I did this... Uh, we we did a couple of gigs together. I played, I mean, I played on this record with Daryl Diaz, Daryl Diaz's first record with Herbie Hancock and a bunch of like really heavyweight cats, right? And um, I remember I was in a session and George was there uh, uh, for the record. And he said, he goes, man, he, he pulls me aside. He goes, you know, you just played like 50 songs in that improvised part. I go, what? I don't understand. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, it just play one of the things he goes now just repeat that don't play like the 80 other ideas that you had save those for like all the other songs that you're going to be doing in the future and I, it was like light bulb moment right because right? i would I, I was so used to coming up with idea after idea after idea i never just repeated stuff that was cool sure and so he taught me to do that and um and that changed my whole life, you know, because I was able to do sound design and really produce, but on the guitar, just like by layering and doing all kinds of cool stuff. And, um, and that's what I did. So I, I learned how to engineer on Pro Tools. I figured it out. I would call buddies. Hey, man, what's that do? What's this do? You know, and I got my own studio and I started recording people and producing people. So it's almost like a... I was learning and doing it professionally, you know, making a living all at the same time. And, I, and it's, it kind of has always still, still like that. I still learn and I'm able to do things. And I got into mixing later down the road, probably like uh, 10 years ago. Um, okay. And, uh, and so that whole art form, you know, has yeah. been like really incredible and I really love it. So I've like my, Guitar playing was the avenue to writing, to producing, to arranging, to mixing and engineering, you know, and I love to do all of those things. And it's a it's a combination of all of those things that have been able to supply me with a living. Sure. Not just guitar playing. Like, I, I mean, I couldn't I wouldn't say that just being a guitar player and playing guitar was how I made a living. For this many years it's a combination of all of those skill sets right and then there's also the whole management of the of the uh, uh endorsement you know gear side of things that also augment the great yeah. struggle so, so the gear thing the gear thing i've been i was i've been pretty fortunate i think in my career i mean look i had one guitar and one amp my whole life, right. Prior to becoming right. a professional. Um, but fortunately I was able to, um, really bond with companies over the years that really supported me, you know, and, and I was able to get all the gear that I needed for any given gig, you know, like it didn't matter. Like I remember having to do like a, a TV show thing and the artist like, yeah, you need to have a white guitar for this. And I'm like, what? And so <laughs> I went to the, went to the company. I said, Hey, you got a white guitar. So they're like, yeah, of course. You know? And so I was able to use a white guitar. So I was able to keep gigs sometimes just by having the support from these companies. Um, right, right. And, you know, 
just recently, a few years ago, I, I was able to ca- connect with Charvel Guitars, and um, you know they're a Fender um, musical instruments company, specialty brands, and I've had a relationship with them exclusive till now. So it's been great. You know, the whole guitars things have evolved, but it's really word of mouth. Like, I mean, like even the Wildwood thing, like you were able to get me a few sessions with them. I mean, that, you know, it was, it's always been a word of mouth, my career, you know, it's never been, I've never really found a lot of success except for in the early days past that. I never found a lot of success trying to hustle my own name. You know, I just think that, um, like my goal has been to always spend the day creating, um, and I've always been busy with my own mind and, and like my own music. And I find that as I'm doing that daily, all of a sudden I'll get a call, you know, Hey, can you do this? And I'll be prepared because I'm working on my own stuff. Right. And that's always been the key to my, to my success, I think. And I consider it a success as a working musician to keep getting work, you know? Right. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, that's been, that's been it, man. That's that's how it's kind of flowed. How would you say, uh, you know, when you first went to LA and, you know, you pivoted various different ways, doing the pop thing, doing this, that, the next thing, uh, over the period of time that you lived in Los Angeles, yeah. um, how did things change? And how would you say that the new paradigm of social media and all that other kind of stuff has altered things either for the better or the worse? Uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, and I don't know that I have a, 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 you know, a permanent answer. You know, I think social media, um, has been good in the sense that, you know, people can connect that necessarily weren't able to, uh, in the past, you know, like I've, I've been able to hire musicians, uh, based on some of the stuff that I've seen for productions, you know, that I've done, um, uh, and, and vice versa. Right. And I think that, um, you know, relationships can get formed and and solidified, you know, even if you're at a distance out of L.A. and somewhere else and you're not hanging all the time, which is great. Like ours being one of those. Right. I'm not saying ours was a social media relationship, but but, you know, we were able to connect and kind of see what people are doing. But I you know, in terms of. So I think it's a good thing. You know, I think it's helped, you know, Um, uh, it's helped people, you know, a lot. Um, but at the same time, you know, I don't, I don't really have a lot of interest like in social media, you know? Um, and you can see with my breaks, I take for months at a time from posting stuff. I mean, I do it because it's fun and I love to give people something that I'm inspired. Like, and I will only post stuff that I'm inspired to, to do. Right. You know, when I'm and but, but, you know, I mean, I, I don't have a massive following to really know what the impacts are in a positive way. Negatively, I don't really know what's negative. Maybe it can take your time away from stuff like, um, which is like, I've noticed some artists, you know, that I I know one artist who has, has a massive following kind of took a break from it all. And we had a great chat, you know, and, uh, and, it took him kind of away from what his goal was, you know? So I guess for me, my goal is to create and it's to present it to the world um, when it's ready to go. And also my goal is to be a family man. Right. So, you know, I'm not really chasing 
I'm not really chasing anything today. You know, um, I'm grateful for the work that I get because, and I, and I do my best for it, but for the most part, I think, you know, things are, things are pretty good. You know, so my social media time isn't like extreme, you know, I'm okay. If, if the algorithm goes off and I go from X thousands of views down a little bit, I don't really, I don't really care. But I remember when it first started, like, I was like, what, you know, three likes, you know, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but, 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 you know, to make a point, right. I was like wrapped up in it for a little while, you know, and just like, I don't understand it. And then I realized, you know what, it, that, that doesn't really generate anything uh, in terms of my, you know, my working success and, and, and longevity. So, I mean, you know. Well, and then you, you you know, you also see stuff where it's like, you know, you can see other people's like unbelievably high quality stuff and it doesn't get very much traction. And then by the same token, you'll see something that's cheesy as hell that'll get tens, hundreds of thousands of views. And you realize, you know, it's just like, it's, it's, it's all, it's the way it's always been, you know, you never know, just be happy with, you just do what you do and don't be attached to the results and you know, that's easy to say, but I mean, that's really the truth, isn't it? I mean, you, 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 you have to be apprised, I suppose, of what, you know, people respond to of yours, you know what I mean? But you, yeah. can't, you can't be too overly concerned with playing to the gallery, as it were, because it's I just agree a, with that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's an artist that I'm working with right now, s- s- c- producing, you know, mixing production of the record. Uh, his record and um and he asked me the other day he said he said so when the album's out you know i hope it's a big success and and i said hey listen man <laughs> you know and it was weird I, I i get to repeat this because i actually remember it but um i told him i said hey man listen the album if if you're happy with the record after it's mastered and you can push play on the album listen to it from the beginning to the end and go fuck man i'm, I'm stoked that i was able to to make this it's killer and you, and you have right. that reaction then that's a success absolutely it takes it's a long a time for people to get that in their in their heads though i know i don't know about you but i w- i was convinced that oh man if i would just record like the magical shit then it'll be undeniable people will hear it and the doors will magically open that were closed previously and relationships that were previously tenuous will all of a sudden be embraced wholeheartedly. And then you just realize, nah, no, it's just who tells who, how good you are. Now there always has to be a kernel of quality and there are some magical scenarios that happen like that. But 99% of the time, the, the, the things that instigate, you know, critical mass of success are, are, are things that are predicated on, on, on brute force and guile, as I like to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I mean, and, yeah. And that's not to say that, no, it's not sour grapes, that's nothing. But to your point is that if you can listen to something from beginning to end and say, I dig this, then you're good. Then whatever happens, I mean, I, you know, this last record that I did, it's like, you know, I'll never forget. Great album, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. I mean, we, I, I was pleased with it and, and, and our crowd digs it and they've been very supportive and so on and so forth. But, you know, I know from many years of doing this that, you know, you can hire people, uh, that will promote it. And the more money that you spend to promote it, 
the more likely it is to get write-ups here and there in the next place, or if you're f- affiliated with a particular brand that's showing major support for you and they have X amount of uh, advertising budget, then a lot of the magazines will fall in line because it's all of a, a giant one hand washes the other type of thing, which we all understand it is what it is. But the point is that, you know, I just have no tolerance for playing that game to the point. It's like, look, you can build up your own crowd of people. You don't need a million people. You just need enough to yes. enjoy your stuff and you can create. And that's, to me, what the paradigm of today's social media or just the ability through the Internet and all the different formats to connect with your own crowd so that you can do your own thing and not have to worry about battling on board the Battlestar Sycophania in order, in order yeah. to get, you know, in this higher realm. And I'm not, you know, and I've been spoiled rotten. I mean, as, as you know, we've had great careers in terms of being getting a lot of support. There's always room for more. We can always look at some other person like, well, boy, at some point it'd be nice to be at that level. But, you know, that's... That's a fool's errand to me. It's like, you know, if that happens, cool. If not, I'm happy just to be doing what I'm doing. As long as I can, as you described, press play and not want to wretch at what I'm hearing of my own. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, and you know, I I mean, I've had the I've had the the good fortune, I guess you can say, of working with a lot of big rock stars, right? You know, really, you know, musicians that have achieved that that you know, top level of fame. Right. And, and sitting down with them and, you know, working with them human to human, uh, you know, and, and asking them about, you know, Hey, what, 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 what happened with that? You know, the story, it, the reality is, is that, you know, these opportunities that came together like brilliantly and perfectly for that piece of music to break. And you're right about putting money in because nowadays really to break into like a mainstream where you're getting millions of followers and like, you know, selling hundreds of millions of streams. Right. I mean, you're really putting in, you're putting in a lot of money, you right. know, putting in a lot of money. And and, and it is, it, it, it's a different sort of thing, man. It's a different sort of thing. I mean, I'm nowhere in that realm where any of that money would even mean anything. And even my, my genre of music is so tiny, you know, so my expectations are, are kind of not of, you know, pop star following because the genre just isn't that big. You know what I mean? I got you. Right. But you You never know. know. I mean, there, there weirder things have happened. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and, and like, here's the thing. I'm just really appreciative of the people that do follow me and I really engage with them and I really connect with them and they buy, they buy my product, my similar right. signature products. They, 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 they buy the stuff. And you know what? I'm super appreciative of them because you know what? They've been around for a long time. I right. mean, I hear we've you. been doing this for how many decades now? Right. And so ultimately, you know, like those are the guys, you know, those are the guys that deserve my attention and, and uh, the responses and stuff, you know, you know, I mean, new people. Great come aboard, you know? Right. Welcome. Yeah. I mean, you know, but at the same time, I mean, you know, I I think we started prior to the social media thing, um, our careers. And so, and I'm grateful for that. Like I would never, I don't know what it'd be like to start a career now with the social media, you know, like with, with my kids, right. You know, if they want to be musicians, God forbid, but if they do, I'll support them. 
but like, what do they do? What do they do to, you know what I'm saying? Like what, how do they, what do they have to do with like all of the social media stuff? Well, you know, what's interesting about it, at least from, I mean, when we were younger, you know, I mean, it's safe to say, I mean, I'm a few years older than you are. Um, but you know, the dream of, um, of success, like meteoric success, even though it was always far-fetched and and always a a very small percentage of people would achieve that, but it was there nonetheless. And what did that mean? That, what did that mean? It meant you get to create music and kind of live apart from society's mores, right? You get to, you make this music and you're kind of you know, cooler than sports people. You know what I mean? Certainly yeah. politicians or TV. Oh, all of those people were just like in this. Uh, musicians were people that got to travel around the world, yeah. act like pirates, have this, <laughs> quasi, have this quasi-attachment to, you know, paranormal realms of metaphysical yeah. varieties, play in front of <laughs> gajillions of people. And, 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 you know, at least this in, in my deranged mind. And now all that stuff, I mean, there, it's not as, well, first of all, if you go to a concert now, everyone's got their phones up. I mean, back then, I mean, no. you know, 20,000 people would wait eight hours sitting around talking and partying with their friends until the band started and then just be completely enraptured with the Absolutely. performance. Absolutely. And nowadays it's like, you know, there's way too many distractions, the glorification of the self and the personal celebrity on, on board. I mean, I'm not judging. It just is what it is. So sure, yeah. there's no, less exactly. of a, it's, it's, it's not as an all in you know, it's not like a, um, a paradigm that really exists anymore per se. And then of course you got the, I mean, I was just saying this to the other, my son yesterday, my youngest is in high school still and plays in the marching band and they had their last, you know, show of the year and all the parents came and listened to them play their songs. And they played, um, uh, crazy train by Ozzy Osbourne, the marching yeah. band. They did, uh, Smoke on the Water, they did uh, 25 or 64 by Chicago, and I'm thinking, marching bands back when we were, I mean, there would have been no way that anything rock and roll would have seeped into establishment activity. It was like completely a separate thing that was this uh, apart from society, you know what I mean? And, and, that, I and now it's, 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 been, it's been usurped and it's been, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Co-opted. You know what I mean? Yeah. So every, everything yeah. has been so commercialized to the point, but you know, but it doesn't take away from the fact for me is that music is still glorious and just playing music is still just has as much power and potency as it ever has been. Yeah. But as far as that paradigm of this, you know, you know, magic carpet ride, what that right. may have would probably a fantasy then, but certainly it doesn't exist now. Would you not agree with that? Or am I just yeah. a grumpy old or am I just I, a grumpy old man? No, I totally <laughs> agree. It's a completely different thing. I mean, success, I mean, success, or and I, I use that word a lot and I have been kind of, but uh, like the the meteoric success, right? Let me just like stipulate what what type of success I'm talking about. Being a, a huge rock star, like you know, is playing in stadiums and shit, right? That was a different formula to get there right when we started to where it's now and it's so it's always a formula is what i've observed right and now the formula is completely just weird man like i mean you kind of had like you don't have to be great at what you do as a as a 
starting point and you don't have to be original as a starting point and you no. don't have to be you don't have to live that vibe as a starting point to achieve this new formula back then like you know you couldn't be phony you had to live right. that whatever it is you were playing and doing you had to like you, you literally had to just be it like metallica for instance right they were just they were metal they were blue jeans they never did the glam thing they never did they, they just said fuck all of it you know right. and they kept going and going and you know they're one of the biggest bands on the planet right right and they just but they had but back then they had to live it now it's super it's like you know what you see from the artist on their social media and what is really happening it's not it's not the same thing it's just the presentation right. rather than living it to the core and the music in my opinion has a, a, a depth that is not all the way down to the right. core right yeah, yeah. you you know like you have a number one single now and it's just for now like it it's not everlasting you know like the those number one singles that were there for 52 weeks you know like beat it or whatever whatever the pop was during the day you know right. those those are forever lasting you know and because there was so much depth because the artist lived that what it was he was doing it wasn't some conjured mechanical superficial thing so Although there might be some depth in the writing because the people that write the music are different than the performers now, right? Right, right, right. Um, it's not it's not a sustained thing. And so for me, like it goes back to that roots where music is spiritual, you know? Right, right. And so, you know, I don't I don't know how to separate myself from that, right? You know, if I'm not feeling right about releasing music, then I'm just not gonna do it, you know. Right. I'm just exactly. not gonna do it. If I just don't feel like releasing music, I'm not gonna do it. And and you know, and that's why bands had five, six, seven years between records. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like because they just didn't feel like it until it was the genuine article, authentic yeah. time. Yeah. Right. But now all of a sudden, it doesn't matter what you feel like. Cause your feelings in music are irrelevant. They're not even, there shouldn't be any emotion in music now, <laughs> you know, it should be a contrived thing and it's going to come out when people who have nothing to do with music, the suits decide this is when it's going to drop. This is when you got to do this. Oh, in three months you got to do this. I mean, it's like, what? Like that's not artistry. Right. <clears throat> that, that's not the definition of artist is what I know it to be. And in fact, I think the definition of artist so let's go to that question you asked about social media. I think it's changed what an artist means. Yeah. Completely. Yeah, completely from, from thousands of years prior. Right, you know? right. So for thousands of years, artistry meant something until social media kind of where we are today with it. Now it means something totally different. Yeah, I you would know? agree with that. But I, you know, I also think that, I mean, even though there were kind of things like it in the past, but I also think that, you know, things like American Idol and The Voice and so on and so oh, forth, yeah. they have so, I mean, they're like, okay, we always were going for low-hanging fruit and lowest common denominator, but now let's just do it right out in the open. 
you know, I've never really, I gotta be honest, man. I've never really understood those shows. I mean, they're great shows for the musicians who have those gigs, right? Right. Exactly. Right. And, and, and the playing and the arrangements of all the tunes, the cover songs they sing and all that, they're great. You know, I, I get a kick out of the professional bands that are behind the scenes. Right. But I've never really understood the, art in general is being some kind of competition as to you're going to get the golden ticket if right. you compete with all these other people trying to get the golden ticket. Right. Like what, what, I don't, what, what is the golden ticket? I mean, who cares? Right. right. Exactly. They basically made this golden ticket gold because it's full of piss. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I don't mean to be, you know, oh, I, hear you. It, I but, hear you, but you know, it's like, we're watching, I don't know. It's weird. It's weird to me. I don't really get it. I don't get it. I mean, I mean, I'm happy that it's an avenue for people to create. I'm happy that it's an avenue for people to live a dream that they have as a musician. I, don't get me wrong. It's awesome for those people. But I don't personally understand how, what it means. It's not artist. Like artist for me means figuring your own shit out on your own, going through your own struggles, going through your own, trying to put food on the table, do all your shit, figure it out, suffer, and then put all that figuring it out and suffering into a song so that somebody else who's going through all that can connect and be like, Oh, I love that song. Cause it, it, it's got all that suffering and craziness that you've lived in it. And I'm a fan of yours now because you've expressed it in a form that I can push play and listen to it on. Right. And well, let, and let's just state that also the probability of someone who's not physically attractive or in some way, shape or form gives off some kind of sexual energy, if you will. Oh, yeah. the, the fact of someone like that actually becoming meteorically successful in today's society is like nil to none. Am I right? I mean, not that I mean, it's always yeah. been it's always been a part of it. But then you had you always had exceptions. And, and the exception yeah. level is doesn't seem to exist anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think Nora Jones and Adele, I think they're like the last couple, you know, that just were, you know, not necessarily fit the norm of sexuality. Right. And I think they're incredible musicians, uh, personally. Um, but they made some meteoric success, you know, for themselves. You know, Diamond Records, when 10 million records sold, it's not even right. real. I hear you. No. I hear you. They but you know, it, but right? you know what I mean. I mean, the like, I do. Well, I mean, I, mean I look at, I look at a guy like Mark Knopfler. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah. I mean, bless him. Bless but him. I mean, a balding, you know, guy, you know, with a bunch of dudes coming up in sneakers and you know, t-shirts doing stuff. Uh, I mean, again, I sound like an old man. I'm a little kid these days. I mean, but I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the likelihood of of things happening like that are just smaller and smaller let's put it that way i think that's a reasonable thing to say i agree i agree i mean you know you remember that art, i was talking to this about this to somebody the other day remember that artist christopher cross back, oh yeah you know absolutely mtv yeah i mean dude what a just incredible singer right songs um, to burn for the oh kids oh my gosh just like you know writing for everybody i mean it's just just incredible like just just amazing talent right so MTV comes out and literally he's gone. It killed the radio star, right? And, right? and that's because the visual kind of takes over, right? And I think that that's 
I mean, I lived in, I kind of grew up in that MTV when it first started, you know, even though I would listen to music prior, like Zeppelin was a huge influence for me, you know, and Rush, you know, these really great bands, but they weren't, you know, on MTV. No, that was, you know, I mean, I mean, Rush, I think probably did, but they weren't like, you know, they weren't like the number one stars on MTV. And so, you know, it changed things. MTV is like the beginning, you know of how things started really changing, you know? So being a great musician didn't matter anymore. You know, it it had to do a lot with what else you can show people. And, 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 but where's our society right now? So this is interesting because you, you know, I love talking with you because you always get me to think, you know, about stuff. (laughs) Uh, And that's, that's why you're such a dear friend because you always motivate me, inspire me to just use my own brain. Right. And so, that thinking, like, where has society gotten to today? Just if I can take a deviant away from music in general, where's society gone to today when everything is so quick uh, at your fingertips and it's all visual, you know, it's all visual stimulate from to your mind rather than just thinking away from a, a an, an eye stimulation, you know? Right. What? How deep is that, you know? Well, it's it's an interesting thing. The thing I find so wild about about this, first of all, is that you can't you can't trump nature in terms of you know you can have all this technology and all this newfangled stuff and have access to all the information that ever was in the palm of your hand, but you could still go outside and say, "I'm going to forget all this," and this is far superior. You know what I mean? So, so the organic experience of just going outside and escaping it all. But I think fewer and fewer people are able to do that in their own minds because they think they're missing out on something. But by yeah. the same token, it, it, what I'm also astounded by, again, if I'm going to put my grumpy old man hat on here. I don't think you're grumpy. I think you spell it out like it is, man, in a lot of ways. Well, I, I just think that, you know, for me, what's so great about uh, technology is, is that if um, if I have, uh, you know, if I'm reading a book or if I remember a certain artist or if I get into a new old artist or something like that, you know, somebody I knew was always around, but never really delved into, I'll do the deep dive and it's all at my fingers. So I can just go, well, what's this person all about? I can go to their Wikipedia page and think, well, it's a Wikipedia page. Anyone can really write this. So maybe I should get other information. Oh, well, there's, there's their own webpage. And then there's, oh, there's this review and there's all, and all their whole careers online. Well, now I've got Apple, um, Apple Music, so I've got a subscription to that so I can listen to the entire catalog. Yeah. And well, what kind of gear are they using? I'm going to do a little deep. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Oh, they use this. In the... And then from my own experience, I realize that people, I mean, now granted, a lot, and, and, I, and I understand this, uh, so I'm not being grumpy old manish, but it's amazing to me how lazy people are when they have this access to all yeah. of this information, to find out history, you know, to find right. about, not just about what I'm talking about, music and artistry, but, you know, politics, history of the world, geography, you know what I mean? Well, <laughs> on, I will on and on and on and on, you know what I mean? Well, it's like, just astounding to me. Well, in regards to, well, I, I want to, you said some couple of points. I'll, with regards to music, first, with your point, I think that, I remember like people would be like, Oh, have you heard this artist? And, and like, I'd have to go to a record store and like a bunch of different record stores to figure out if they had this guy's tape or album. And then I, uh, you know, I'd have to kind of like really do a lot of legwork to figure it out. Then I'd have to earn the money to be able to pay for it. 
you know, and buy this thing. And then I'd get it and I would treasure it because it took a lot of work to figure out what it was and to be able to get, you know, and, and I did, and it was incredible. Right. And I had a different appreciation if I resonated with it for that artist. Right. And then I want to search out their other stuff and go on the adventure again and again and again. So in that way, I think that having it at the palm of your hand is like, just it's ruined that whole vibe. And plus music was an auditory experience, right? not a visual one, uh, you know, most of the time, cause you're not always at a concert. Right. Right. And so to have an auditory that that does something to the brain and the yeah, emotions and stuff much differently than if you have a visual, um, you know, stimulation. Right. And so that is missed, I think, a lot nowadays. And now, if, but if you apply to the phone or the access to history, for me, actually, that's been really helpful. And I'll tell you why, because when I was growing up in the Bay Area, it was pre Silicon Valley, you know, with what it is today. And I mean, you know, like I would tell the people be like, I was like the only brown dude pretty much right in the entire all around, you know, I mean, like I can say that with confidence because it's real and people be like, where are you from? And I'd be like, oh, my parents are from India. And they and I'd get handed a, you know, a hat with feathers on it because they didn't even know what India was. Right. You understand? So so my understanding of history is based on that limited, if you can imagine, that narrow amount that was given to me. So I didn't really know much about history. And so now I can study history right at my fingertips. I mean, you have to do the effort and read, but I can study it and get real sources on what has happened in different places. Because even American history, for the most part, I'm oblivious about because my parents didn't have any American history to teach me. Sure. Yeah, yeah right? I hear you. I mean, they're American citizens now. I mean, for a long time, but, but, um, but I mean, you know, what did they? Know? They didn't know anything about the history, uh, you know, or the culture in the United States. Nothing. So, wh- wh- where was I going to learn it from? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, so I'm I'm happy that it's accessible now because I can I can get to the bottom of things that I might have not understood. Well, it's it's interesting because I always you know. I always like to say, uh, you know, I, I think it was Napoleon that said that history was is always been written by the victors, and and that's really and that's really true. And I, I've I've uh, realized in the past if I do deep dives on history stuff, you know, there was you know a while there where I'd get a bunch of different books on a certain subject, and they were all skewed in a different way. Yeah. And so you realize, well, if you just read the one book, you'd have a particular attitude of, oh, I'm authority on it. Sure. I read this book and it coincides with everything I've ever heard. And then you can read another one with a slightly different perspective that maybe was more on the other side of this right. person, person's activities. And then you could read yet another one that was skewed in a different way. So you'd have to read countless books on the same subject just to kind of formulate, okay, somewhere in the, in the middle of yeah. all these different things lies the truth. But I think exactly. that, you know, it's... You know, luckily the internet allows you to go on that deep dive, but unfortunately so many people, they don't go on the deep dive. They go to the one right. place that, that skews sure. to their biases, but you right. know, we could, we could talk all day on that, but, but yeah, listen, no, my I, friend, I, 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 I gotta, I gotta run here only because I've, I've ordered, I've ordered pizza for our family and I have to go and I have to go get it. Good. But, but I really appreciate you taking time to talk with me today. It's been fascinating as I knew it would be and uh, great to actually physically see you here, doggone yeah. it. 
It's good. Yeah, finally. And uh, say hello to Stevie for me, and you take care of yourself, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Lots of love. Thank you. You too, my friend. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. Special thank you to Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and the Mighty Fishman Transducers for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed yourself, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe and review so that people can get the word out that this is worth experiencing. Can you dig it? Thanks again. We'll see you soon, or you'll hear me soon.